Welcome to Navigating Lyme Disease for Patients and Doctors. I'm here with Dr. Daniel Cameron, an expert on Lyme disease. Today we'll be focused on the psychological issues that come along with Lyme disease very often. Dr. Cameron, welcome and thank you for being here. Happy to be with you again. Me too. Thank you. You know, one of the things that just fascinates me about this series is I had no idea of the range of symptoms that come along with Lyme disease. I think the caveat is not every symptom comes with every case, but from a physician's standpoint, to understand the breadth of symptoms and from a patient's perspective, to have that similar understanding, I think is tremendously important, not only in terms of diagnosing it, but also in terms of dealing with it and how to handle Lyme disease. What's your take? Well, with Lyme disease, you know, a lot of doctors know something about it, and they know more and more over time. But it's problematic because they first identified it as a swollen knee or a painful knee. Uh, it used to be called juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, or most cases were. And then a debate, was it one knee? Was it both knees? Was it some other joint? And so that was a rheumatologic perspective. But over time, there's a whole lot of neurologic problems. There's psychiatric problems, which we call neuropsych because it's kind of related to illness. And then there's some general things like overwhelming fatigue and sleep and those kind of issues. So that's why today uh, I was uh, focusing on on a particularly important part, the, which is the psychiatric part or the neuropsychiatric part of Lyme disease. The first area we're going to focus on is pandas, uh, not the animal, but something that was identified in 1998 and refers to a rapid onset of obsessive and compulsive behaviors and tics. Um, tell everybody about pandas and the derivation of the name. Well, the National Institute of Mental Health had an interest in various psychiatric, uh, neuropsychiatric problems that were occurring in kids. So they first thought it must be autoimmune. So let's do IVIG, which is intravenous immune globulins. And what they happened to notice is that it seemed to re be related to strep infections. So that's why P stands for pandas, A for acute uh, neuropsych uh, um, disease associated with strep. Uh, so they would say, well, let's give you a treatment for strep, and then you're still sick, and then we'll do IVIG. But there were a fair amount of people that just happened to get better with antibiotics. And so in the community, a lot of times people would say, well, I got better with amoxicillin. Why can't I go a little longer? And they decided, since they had a lot of the same symptoms that a live patient have, why don't we look at OCD, you know, tics, the, the patient tics, where, where your face is moving or your body's moving in a certain way, and, and Tourette's. But just because those are the three things they look for, there are plenty of other symptoms along with it. You just need to have a definition to do a study. So... When they went out in the community, they decided 
A lot of people had the same problem that looked like pandas but didn't have strep. So it was hard to keep calling it, um, you know, pandas associated with strep if they didn't have strep. So they've been calling it pans. And that's where you run into an overlap because pans, you know, which is pediatric neuropsych, can be from a whole wide range of illnesses. It just so happened that Lyme is a really common type of infection that can lead to PANS. And, and also with Lyme is that instead of only treatment for strep, there seem to be a bunch of other antibiotics that are used for Lyme disease, like maybe doxycycline might work, or maybe they have Babesia, which is a parasite. And so that there's a lot of PANS out there. And so um, at conferences, when people get together and families get together and talk about PANS, what I've heard is that three out of four people in the audience are people who happen to have Lyme disease at the same time. And so that there's huge overlap in that particular group. So PANS and PANDAS are one specific set of aspects primarily around children, but Lyme and neuropsychiatric issues are much broader than that. And one of the things that I want people to understand is listen to this list because it's so broad and I want people to understand that it can be paranoia, dementia, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, panic attacks, major depression, anorexia, and OCD. It's shocking to me the breadth of neuropsychiatric symptoms that can present with Lyme. Can you talk about that a little more? Well, it's so easy during a busy practice to focus in on one problem. You might notice the depression. If you ask the next question, you realize, well, there's almost every neurotransmitter for every mood is turned up. So many times they'll have depression, but they'll also have angry, uh, rage, despair. Um, they just uh, have uh, all kinds of like obsessive issues. Um, and so you just, the more you can find out, you find out they just have a lot of psychiatric issues. And just when you say, hey, I'm gonna to go to a psychiatrist, I'm gonna call it functional, then you realize, well, they also have attention issues. They can't concentrate, they might be told they have ADHD. Uh, they might have, uh, if they're older, they might have cognitive issues. So they say, well, they have a learning problem. Or if they're even older, they might say, well, it's early cognitive problems, it's Alzheimer's disease. Um, you know, sometimes there's so so much going on, it's almost like an out-of-body experience because it's so involved in what's going on with their symptoms that they remind you of like a paraschizophrenic. They might be told they should go to a psychiatrist. So even though uh, you know, people as doctors and patients focus in on one issue. You know, a few more questions all of a sudden, gosh, is that there's more than just one issue and there's more than just one mood or or concentration issues. And so it, it gets to be a problem. So I find that when I'm talking with a patient, working with them, working with their family, is I have to do a lot more counseling. I have to, or at least working with them to get into the details. Because if I don't get in the weeds, all of a sudden I'll just be focused on one aspect, the mother or father only focus on one aspect. And and so if you look, you find so many things. Now, because I find so many things during a first visit, 
I'll end up with a variety of specialists. You know, I'll be checking for thyroid issues, uh, diabetes, uh, anemia, B12 deficiencies. There's a lot of things involved in, in working with Lyme is that you have to make sure it's nothing else either. Some people just happen to have psychiatric issues just because they're sick and tired of being sick and tired. There's some people that get bitten and they already have depression. So they, you know, you have to take care of the depression and take care of the tick bite. You have to kind of tease it out. You can't just write everybody off as a mood issue. What's your take in terms of somebody being just super frustrated and on the other side of the equation because of the disease state, they've impacted the way that their brain functions? Well, often, uh, especially in children, as I get to know them and work with them, I'll often find there's different layers because often the first thing they get told when they're a kid is that they have ADHD or they're depressed or they're obsessed. Uh, they have uh, all kinds of psychiatric diagnoses that they get. Um, sometimes they might get some value from a psychiatrist, but there often there's a lot of other issues that keep emerging. Uh, but I also find that when they have psychiatric issues or neuropsych, they often have a lot of other issues, like they might have fatigue with it and headaches and back pain, joint pain. So it's often easier to identify somebody with Lyme because they often have a wide range of issues. So, but because neuropsych is so important, I make sure during that interview that I try to tease out what's been happening because often like mom says one thing, dad says something else, the sisters says something else, and so grandpa, and so it's, uh, you know, so many people are going in different directions saying, let's go to a psychiatrist, let's go someplace else. And how do you work and pull everybody as a family together? So yes, we'll make sure it's nothing else. But also, if there's a chance of Lyme, taking an organized approach uh, helps a great deal. And it involves a lot more counseling rather than just that, what supplement to take or just handing a prescription over to that uh, that patient. This really goes back to what we talked about in the first episode is this idea of how important it is for a physician to dig deep and take a look at the broader picture. And, you know, I, I see it from the standpoint in, in the last episode, we talked a lot about all these different um, symptoms that can put together can mean Lyme disease, but also understanding the patient, the parents, that sort of thing, and pulling those different focuses into a, an integrated whole really helps to figure out that diagnosis, whether it's Lyme or not. Isn't that true? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, in medicine, it's so easy to just make sure it's not some other disease because the other diseases have more of a straightforward, like MRI finding, um, of course, not everything is easy because there's no blood test for depression, for uh, anxiety, for sleep problems, uh, mood issues. And so, you know, they keep thinking, oh, there's going to be a blood test that's going to tell me about Lyme, but there's no blood test to tell me about psychiatric issues. So I always encourage, you know, families not to jump to conclusions, or if they do come to a conclusion that it's depression, is not hold on to it, never let it go. It's still worth it. To, to find out from that child, from um, from the parents, 
what's been going on because they can't go forward unless there's an organized treatment plan that everybody can agree to and then follow because if they go to a psychiatrist, they should be back in your office to see if they get better. If I if they come to see me, I often send them to a specialist to make sure it's nothing else. So it's a um, I plan that that collaborative and follow up effort uh, can go a long ways. And, and plus, the, you know, if you've been sick and tired a long time, they almost have a PTSD. Uh, you know, you know, see some of those issues of post traumatic, you know. Even though it's just a tick, just the the tick that threw up in you and caused immune issues is that it can be pretty intense, and 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 it can be sick and miss school. They can be at school and have you know ticks, Tourette's. They can be uh, uh, anxious. They can may not concentrate. And by the time I, I see them, two or three years have passed, six years have passed, and they need a lot of counseling along with the tr treatment. I always. Uh, get the child involved in the treatment plan because you know if it's just mom or dad it's really the child that's immersed in it and so i like to make sure that they have a, a stake in it that they're a shareholder even if the legal authority is mom and dad but still that child has gone through they need to know a lot more about what's going on uh, and be a participant in the process plus they're the ones that are telling you the symptoms it's not just mom and dad some of the symptoms are are um, so easy to just ignore. But one thing I find is that if I sit in a room with a patient and I add every symptom from top, then you know, let's go make a whole list. All of a sudden, the family, the mom and dad, realize how complicated it has gotten. You know, they see one symptom, one problem, one anxious issue, something when they and or even rage, and they'll they. Uh, they miss that there's a whole story that everything is wrong, and so it's a it's sometimes it takes a little work to sort of get everybody uh, to to come up with an organized plan. Go back to involving a child, especially a child that's had this for some time, and talk about how you help that child, who's probably in most cases beside themselves. They don't feel good. They, they have lost energy. They, they probably feel like outcasts at school, that sort of thing. Regardless of how the other students are treating, they don't feel like the other kids around them. How do you help that child to really engage in their treatment plan and to be an active participant in it? Well, I find that with that child, you know, asking questions, they actually are the one living with it. So uh, I take notes. Uh, I tend to to work with them so they can understand, you know. I often use the model that it's a fight or flight. The whole immune system is busy. The adrenaline is busy. And you'd be surprised how many kids remember the fight or flight uh, concept in school. You know, learned it, thought it was fascinating. But to actually be in a fight or flight, where every mood is turned up to high, they're mobilized, they're exhausted, they're tired. And so I find that the kid understands it better, that's a start. And if the parents see the kid understand it, then you get a collaborative relationship between the parent and the child. Uh, and then, uh, um, you know, trying to figure out where they're in school. Because I, I encourage that they keep 
in school that stay in school they uh because it takes a while it can take a while to get better it and so there's many missteps along the way and so it's it's important that in follow-up to set goals set priorities um, try to get them to put up with the education uh, even being sick you know so I'd like to when I get better is to be uh, on on schedule with school if I can now I recognize that once in a while you can't get a control, but you'd be surprised how many kids have that I've taken care of where they're better, they're they finished high school, they were successful in college, they've gone to medical school, nursing school, and so even when they have this despair, they think uh, I'm never going to make it. That it's got me is that as long as they keep their education going, uh, it's uh, surprising how many people can land on on their feet if they. If they're sick, I try not to like hold back their education, uh, you know, encourage them. But they 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 do pretty well if they buy in as a kid. I think of a kid, whether it's a seven or eight year old or somebody in high school, and I think about their parents. And if this child has had this disease for two or three years, I imagine at that point it, it some of the behaviors are normalized in the mind of the parent. Like, well, you know, Jimmy's just not not very good in school. And I would imagine that a big piece of what you're doing as a physician, even though you're not a counselor and that sort of thing, is helping the parents to recognize, hey, wait a minute, this isn't normal. This is, the, here are some things that are, are pretty important and getting them past those kind of preconceived notions about their child based on how they've been in this disease and to move forward as a part of this team that's going to help this kid get through it. Yeah, I I uh, often find that that a parent, um, all of a sudden, when they finally piece it together, and sometimes they piece it together because someone they know had Lyme, or they had a child with Lyme, or maybe they get a tick bite, and they think about Lyme. But when you did the story, you realize, gosh, I've been sick for four years. It's just that that tick got me thinking, I got a blood test, um, or I, I looked at the whole story. So that's that's why um, the joy in practice is that, you know, even though it can be tough and I could treat this way or that way, you know, so many kids get better. It's a very uh, rewarding part of my practice to take, you know, adolescents and tweens and pick them up and move them forward. So even though you hear about stuff, parents uh, forget that you know, getting out with treatment, you know, being more flexible, not accepting that 30 days is enough, uh, not giving up on some of the other treatments that are available. These doctors are missing that uh, that chance to make a difference in that family. And so I always uh, talk about uh, talk it up all the time because it's a pretty satisfying uh, career to take one-on-one situations and can't find anything else, but certainly Lyme uh, turns their, their story around. Boy, oh boy, I can only imagine uh, the kinds of responses you get from patients and if they're kids and their parents in terms of, oh, I mean, there must be a tremendous amount of guilt on parents' part for, well, how did we not know this? How did this, how do we let this go along, go this long? Is that something that you run into? Yeah, I think there, um, with parents, there have been, uh, having different answers all along and thought it was this, thought it was that. And then 
that of course there's often some conflicts. The mom has a different feeling than dad and the grandpa, and so you're um, trying to get everybody on the same page is not easy. You know, we always yeah. think it's all doctors, and all doctors aren't on the same page. But uh, patients, families, and kids, um, how do you get a, a plan working? And now some people get worse before they get better. Um, sometimes there's something called a Herxheimer reaction where they they get such a flare-up, it, it kind of pulls out some psychiatric feelings. There's a lot of stuff going on. And so unless the child buys in or the parent buys in, you know, they might panic and think, oh, well, gee, um, it can't be lying. Why is this going on? And now they'll drop the subject. So I like to try to get the family um, involved on the same page uh, and so they can get the process started. You know, there's a lot of work involved in Lyme at the beginning. Maybe, in fact, maybe the first visit takes longer, but it's, it doesn't take long if they start getting better. That visit gets much shorter than you think. So I, I'm a, I have a busy practice, and people think, well, that's too much work. All I want to do is deal with cholesterol, diabetes, and hypertension. But if you, if you, um, take what you learned in medical school and just say, hey, what else do I need to ask? You know, I think most doctors can fit it in their practice because it's that work of the first visit, being open, getting going. After the first visit, uh, it's a lot easier to incorporate it into your practice. The other thing that occurs to me in regards to this discussion is for physicians, just how important it is to talk about the potential of it's the Herxheimer effect. Yeah, they, Dr. Herxheimer was a specialist in syphilis, and he noticed that if you treated with an antibiotic, that the proteins from the syphilis would break up and get the immune system going. And so that what you would feel then is your immune system would respond, so people might get fairly sick the first couple of days, um, maybe longer. So with Lyme, the same bacteria or similar bacteria get broken up, the immune system gets involved, they can feel worse. Now, one thing that's happened over time is that the English language is kind of limited. You know, they, there's no great word for a flare-up. So lots of Lyme patients,